0: I was always the kind of kid who asked, why? I still ask it. why why do you want to do what you do? Fascinating.
1: TV and radio host Larry King today on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Boy, can you talk about somebody who really has heard everything, Larry King. For decades, has been a fixture on radio and TV nationwide. He actually started in the 1950s, in the 70s and 80s. Larry King had an overnight radio talk show that drew an audience of millions overnight. Then he was on CNN for years and years and years. He has literally interviewed anybody who is anybody. Now I've interviewed him several times over the years, including this conversation that you're about to hear from almost 30 years ago, Larry King from 1990.
2: You've come to be known as our conduit to all the celebrities of the world. You are the person who introduces us to the famous and the near-famous and the infamous. How do you create a book like this without making it sound on every other page like, yes, God and I had lunch last week and we discussed all the matters of the world? That's hard. You have to first establish that
0: most of the, practically all of these people, I met through the professional circumstances that we're doing right now. I met through an interview circumstance, some of them through a social but not not 1% through social. So I came to know them. Some I got friendly with, some I did not. A lot of these things happened, and I happen to have a good memory. We save tapes a lot. Actually, a lot of people in this country could do this book. A lot of people who do interview shows could do this book. You could definitely do a book. You've talked to so many authors. You could do a book. All you'd have to do is sit down and spend the time to think about the interesting things that have been said
2: to you over the years of doing this feature. But this isn't just a transcript of your interviews. There's oh, no, no. a lot but more to you it. You have than to that. have pretty good memory. Exactly.
0: And you have to then throw in your own opinions. A book that doesn't have an opinion is blah. So as you think along the way, here's what I think of celebrity here's what I think about baseball, here's what I think about horse racing, here's what I think about politics, here's what I think about civil rights. This is why this person annoyed me, this is why this person didn't and what the public likes These books, are kind, as they call them, are driven by public interest in what happens to well-known people. What they do, what they say, what they think. What makes me unusual is that I've never been interested ever in the gossipy side of someone's life that deals with romance. I don't care, absolutely do not care, if the celebrity has an affair with a woman. I don't care if the Vice President of the United States... Had a girlfriend. I really don't care, unless that became a major public thing. But my mind doesn't go that way. Other than that, I'm curious, and the public is enormously
2: curious, about what happens to people better known than themselves. When somebody comes on the Larry King show, either the CNN or the uh, the uh, mutual show, are they fair game? Can you ask them, do you feel as though you can ask them anything you want? I feel
0: that way, but I never invade a privacy. In other words, they're there for a subject, that is... If Zbigniew Brzezinski is on my show to talk about foreign policy, I, I have some latitude. I don't have a latitude to go into uh, I heard about you uh, with a woman, or is this true, or uh, I, I don't think uh, dalliances are any of my business. I don't think personal life is any of my business. The only time it is, is if a guest has written a book about his personal life or a biography about his personal life, then it's fair game. So no, I wouldn't say it's fair game. They're a guest... They're an invited guest. We're not rude. I think my ma- I think the main appeal I have to guests is inane innate curiosity. Mm-hmm. I am just I've always been that way since childhood. I I am fascinated by what people do and why they do it. Why do you want to drive a bus? Why do you want to fly a plane? Why do you want to be a secretary of state? Why do you want to go there? Why did you bunt? Why did you Why did you remove that defenseman? Why did you make that change? All those things have always. I'm a, I'm a compendium of whys.
2: Right. Why? I, I meant to ask you, well, how did you come up with, with the, the, the quintessential Larry King question, which is to choose the field of, you know, Willie Mays, for example, and say, just choose that field and then attach the word why to it and just say, right. why baseball? That's right, because it forces someone. There were two
0: as It happened, I guess, a long time ago because I've been doing it a long time. It fascinates me why people chose the profession they chose. It forces them to think of, as Peter Yustino said when I asked him that once, he never really thinks. He doesn't drive around and say, why do I like acting? Uh, But he's an actor. And there has to be somewhere along the line that was a choice. you know. And sometimes it's made for you. In my case, it was made for me. I was freaked by radio. I was a kid who just wanted to do what they were doing, what was coming out of that box I wanted to do. But why is a great question. You can't one-word the answer. You have to think and you have to deal with motivation. It forms all those three kind of things. And I'm, why would a doctor, a doctor goes to medical school, why would he choose to be an internist and why would he choose surgery? Why would you choose dentistry and why would that gentleman over there choose oncology? Now if he's chosen oncology, let's say now we, we, I find out why he's chosen oncology. What is fascinating to me is why would someone want to work around a disease in which most of your patients die? What about, why would you want to be someone who does autopsies? On the other hand, why be a pediatrician? Now, from that comes a whole compendium of fascinating, I remember Bobby Brown, the now president of the American League, who was a pediatrician, and I asked him why he chose pediatrics, and he said, because your patients get better. Mm. Well, that's fascinating to me. Most of your patients get better. And they're better patients. If you tell a nine-year-old to take a pill, they're better at taking it than a fifty-year-old. That course, you they're they're malleable. Mm. Well, that's fascinating to me. All of that as I think of it. Now I haven't thought about this. You just asked me about it. I haven't thought about what Bobby Brown said in 15 years. But it got me to thinking about why asking why. But I was always the kind of kid who asked why. I still ask it. You know why did why do you want to do what you do? Fascinates me.
2: Getting back to the idea of, of how you met all the, the people, is it? are there times, uh, I do in here on a much smaller scale what you do, and I, there are so many times when I wish that I had the time to sit down with somebody away from the studio three or four hours and just have a nice leisurely dinner and just talk over matters of the world. Yeah, sure. Do you get that opportunity often? I do. One, living in the city. Two,
0: the kind of what's happened to me, I don't know if it's a good thing or not, it was when you become a kind of celebrity, dumb. What happens is they are anxious to meet you. So, like, uh, I was surprised. I'm in New York and Warren Beatty is on. And Warren Beatty says to me, Boy, I watch you all the time. And uh, what about this interview and what about that interview? Now, had we had the time, I would have had dinner with him that night had it worked. It didn't work as I had to go do something. But that would have been obvious because he was interested in what I do. So when you that's a plus. The minus of it is when you're interviewing people who are not famous, like a victim or someone, and they're nervous about being around you, that takes away from the interview, and that leads to a lot of socializing, and sometimes that leads to friendships. And I, because tr- so, I've never been in news, see, I travel a kind of thin wire. I'm not a newsman. When I get letters that say uh, you're an outstanding journalist, that always shakes me because I never think of myself as journalist. Now, I guess an interviewer is a journalist in a broad sense, but I'm it? always interview interested in the why mm. rather than the what. Now, I'm interested in the what. But the why first, as, as Ted Koppel told me, you know, when if there was a fire, I would say, why do you want to fight fires? He would say, what caused the fire? That's absolutely true. My mind would think first, why would someone want to go into that burning fire? Why would you want to do that for a living? As opposed to what caused the fire. I'm interested in what caused the fire. So I don't meet people as a newsman. For example, I think a lot of people confide in me because they don't look at me as he's going to put this on the air tomorrow. And you hear a lot of confidential stuff. Mm-hmm. In fact, in, in, in Tell It to the King, I think I I probably went over the bounds a little. I think I discussed some personal things, although no one confronted me on it yeah. as I reread the book before we did Tell Me More. I think Tell Me More is gentler. I think they, they were, Tell It to the King was fun, and we sold a lot of books, but there was a kind of a... Partial hum to it, in which I thought I went too much into people's personal lives. I don't think I did it as much in Tell Me More.
2: You think that people are going to be disappointed if they buy Tell Me More, expecting the same kind of book? No,
0: I think they're going to to get a lot of it, but different kind. And so Tell Me More is in some cases funnier, Uh, and I think more interesting in in, in its element. Look at horse racing, which I didn't look at too much in the in the other book, and I did in this book. And I love its story about what I didn't do in the other book was uh, sex and politics in Washington and the kind of way the town is driven. and, and There's no sex in politics in this town, is there? <laughs> this is the most sexual power-driven town in America because money is not its prime source. I go to some cities and uh, people say, Boy, that was some contract you signed. Or, wow, you're making a lot of money. I never hit that in Washington. Mm-hmm. What you hear in Washington is, you know, Boy, you got a good table at Duke's. Uh, who is that you're having lunch with? what's going on what do you hear there's an inside the beltway mentality here and a lot of it is sexually driven because the biggest sexual turn on is power much more than money Uh, a a a person in high office has much more people driven to him than a person who owns the department store you know a lot of people Mm -hmm. can own department stores only one person can have the microphone at that time only one person can be president at that time so you're very, very driven to it. In other words, let's say the women and Jack Kennedy were driven to his personality, to his rhythm of this town, to his presidency. They didn't say, I'm going to see Jack Kennedy. He's worth $42 million.
2: Are you comfortable with the idea that you are a celebrity in your own right as opposed to just uh, as, as a sort of you them, like uncom- the mostly, conduit? To-
0: mostly uncomfortable. Uh, I did a pregame show last week. For TNT, they've got the first eight football games Mm -hmm. of the year. And we did the Giants and Eagles. Now, normally I'm just going to do, Ted Turner asked me to do, to participate in this show during the week, taping a short interview that they'll put into the show relating to sports. I'm going to do Eric Dickerson, like, for this week. But for the first show, I was in New York for the Miss America pageant. I was right around they said, well, it was going to be the Giants and the Eagles. You grew up in New York. Mm. So for the first show, participate in the show at the site. And I interviewed Norman Brayman, the owner of the Eagles. And I went. Now, they have an outdoor setup. It's called a stadium show. And they're right outside in the parking lot. And they have a very nice set. But people walk by. Well, I'm sitting there with the three other sportscasters. And these these New Yorkers start coming in, buses and cars. And it was Larry and Larry and Larry. And I, I remember, and it, was got, it got to be first embarrassing for me for the other three guys. I just want to be a part of the team. I don't want to be separate from the team. And these people started rhythmic yelling, you know, and it was like, new, it was not unfriendly. They were not hostile. They were just New Yorkers. You know, I got a lot of nice greetings in Seattle in a totally different way, but New Yorkers, that's the way they are. And I was very embarrassed by that kind of celebrity. I mean, I remember the time I was doing color on the Miami Dolphins, and we went to the Orange Bowl. It was a Monday night game, and I was doing the radio color. And Howard Cosell was outside the stadium doing a stand-up. You know, he was just doing a little lead-in mm-hmm. tape. And people were going by yelling, Howard, hey, Howard. And they were yelling. And I remember I said to Rick Weaver, who was doing the games, boy, I never would want that. Gee. And now when you have that, it's a little... There's a scary aspect to it. I still like... I like going to a ball game and sitting in the stands. I like being just regular guy. Do you I, put on disguises or anything? Or? No. It, but what happens is it goes with the territory. And all you do... Mm-hmm is do it. I went into the stands. I sat in the stands. I didn't sit in the press box. A lot of people yelled. After a while, they stopped yelling. Some people come over from the autograph. Most are interested in watching the game. But if you start removing yourself from it, I think that's when you're lost. If you start saying, I'm above this, or I can't go to that game anymore, people will recognize me. Mm-hmm. Mistake. Gleason told me that. He said when he was first on television, he was on one night, he was walking on a boardwalk in Coney Island with his friends. He turned around and 50 people were following him. And he realized right then that this one, television is a powerful media, two, these people know him, and three, he's still going to walk on the boardwalk. Because if he changes that life, he's only going to get into trouble. And he told that to Presley when Elvis started, he said, Elvis, you're going to be a big hit. When you want to go to the restaurant, go to the restaurant. If you want to go to a movie theater, go to a movie theater. The day they start bringing films to your house and you lose contact, you're going to be a lonely, lonely person.
1: Larry King celebrated his 86th birthday last November, but he's still working. He hosts two shows, Larry King Now and Politicking with Larry King, both seen on Hulu and RT America. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, as baseball's spring training gets underway this coming weekend, we'll be revisiting my 1991 interview with one of the greatest baseball players of all time, Hank Aaron who happens to share a birthday with me, but that's beside the point. Hank Aaron, next time on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson.